This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asha Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. And today we're discussing uh, mind expansion. And uh, the reason we're discussing that is by popular demand. And this gentleman here, what's your name? Josh. Josh. Josh uh, has a question. A couple other people do as well. So what's your question? Uh, what does the Bible have to say about psychedelics? Okay, so this is a question about using, using substances. This, this question is about using substances to actually, uh, 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 what's the word to put something in your body to ingest substances that cause mind expansion. What was your question? My question was how can one, or... Better. What's your name? Mayor. Mayor. Yeah. Um, is it possible to achieve the same thing that we might see on LSD through prophecy, and how does one get there? So he mentioned a pharmaceutically created compound called LSD, also known for its ability of expanding the consciousness. And your question was, how can we... Uh, can we get there using just pure Jewish practice? Okay, can we get there using Jewish practice? Anyone else ha- want to add to the flavor of the questions? Someone else has a curiosity that's within that realm? No? Okay, great. So let's begin. I'll just set up the camera here. And, uh, uh, people love seeing who's in the class, by the way. I keep getting these comments going like, show the people, show the people. I'm like, what am I, that boring? <laughs> They're like, well, look at it, you for an hour straight. Gets old, you know, like, show the people. They want to see the people. Anyway, um, now the, uh, so let's just discuss contracted, con, uh, constricted consciousness versus expanded. Let's just get that done. Um, we've got uh, constricted consciousness is uh, often uh, the result of low moods. Like when you're in a low mood, you're going to be in a more constricted consciousness. Also can be uh, anytime you're wronged, harmed in any way, um, will lead, lead to a more constricted consciousness. Constricted consciousness also tends to find itself around our fears, the five fears, you know the five fears of life? The fear of, of rejection, meaning we'll be in a more constricted consciousness if we're worried about being rejected, maybe to a reception, a wedding reception or something, or, or any other social context of being rejected there, or even a family context. So rejection. Um, the next fear is fear of failure, and that's... Um, you know, just your own personal performance. And, and when you're ever feeling doubtful that you're going to be able to perform in the way you need to, to make a living or whatever it is you're doing, um, you're more likely going to be in a constricted consciousness. Um, then, obviously, fear. the third fear is the fear of, of being controlled by others, um, which is, you know, a huge fear and, and obviously very constricting, whether that be government, law enforcement, uh, parents... You know, administrators, rabbis, bosses, you know, spouses. You know, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of, a lot of potential control out there that could control us, and so we're going to find ourselves very, very much in constricted consciousness. In fact, uh, one of the main uh, sources for constricted consciousness in the Jewish world is the slavery of Egypt, where we were completely out of control, meaning we had no control over our own handiwork. We were slaves, and that's the ultimate constricted consciousness. They say that we were so enslaved at a certain point, because it was over 200 years 
of slavery. So we were so enslaved at a certain point that we wouldn't even try to escape. Because think about it, if, if I enslaved you, Mayor, you'd be freaking out, right? right. But what if your great-great-grandchild was later born yeah, into slavery? Like no, that, what if your great-great-grandchild was born a slave? Right. Yeah? Okay. Can you shut the door? It's welcome, by the way. Yes, yes. They wouldn't have even remembered what freedom felt like. Well, he would think he's free. If you're born into slavery, that's all you know. That's all you know. So born into slavery... You can be, meaning you could be born into constricted consciousness. And, and, and they say that they, at a certain point, they didn't have to guard anyone anymore. Like Jews were just doing their slavery. Like there was no need to guard the borders. There's, a, there's, there's even a statement amongst our sages that no one ever even escaped Egypt, which is kind of weird. There's millions of Jews and no one escaped Egypt. No one like walked out. And, but also the borders aren't very guardable in Egypt. Like it's not a extremely guardable place. you got the sea on one side, it leads right in the, into the desert, leads right into Israel on the Gaza border there, and meaning it's just not an easy place to guard. But it didn't need any guarding because everyone was stuck in their constricted consciousness. So when you're in there, your constricted consciousness, you generally stay there, you know, especially if it's a control situation. Anyway, the fourth fear is the fear of the unknown, and how many of us are, have risk aversion because of the unknowns? And we would all be much wealthier or poorer today had we taken those risks. And, but we have risk aversion because of the unknown, and that's another form of constricted consciousness, is the fear of the unknown. And then lastly is the fear of, of um, uh, physical pain and suffering, meaning that could be caused to your body. And which also holds us back very much and constricts us from all kinds of things that we we could have done that right it might have been really great for us, but we were too busy worrying about getting hurt that we didn't do it. What like for example travel, or um, or sports, which could include sports like rock climbing or rappelling or or um, uh, surfing, hang gliding, uh, river rafting, mountain biking. These are all like amazing sports that cause great mind expansion. And why do you think surfers will like skip out on their final exams, you know, or just call in sick for a week straight, you know? Just building a house in California is a rough thing because if it's a good winter, meaning waves, no one's building your house. They're, they're just gonna not come for a week because the waves are good. And so it's just like, these kinds of sports are expanding. And hence, uh, with those five fears that we just listed, it's just more constricted consciousness. Consciousness is, consciousness is the USB cable between God and creation. It's a big statement. Consciousness is the USB cable between God and creation. Another one of the, there's a couple USB cables. Another one's the zodiac, the stars, and their configurations and how they move throughout the air are one of are, are a USB cable between God and creation. But the stars are like kind of out there, whereas your consciousness is in there, and that's the USB cable 
between God and creation. Well, think about it. If the cons consciousness is constricted, so then the USB cable line is not, it's not really getting the, it's not getting its power feed so much. So God's not going to have much of a, a person to speak through. If you're, if your consciousness is constricted, it's going to be really hard to speak through you. Whereas someone with the most expanded consciousness is going to be a person with, with a gr great aperture, great, you know, like, like expanded voice of God coming through that person. Which for us, now that we don't have prophecy, might show up as uh, intuition, might show up as premonition, it might show up as uh, um, just the ability to think, see how things are moving in like, for example, markets, stock trading and commodities and uh, real estate markets and stuff. Like someone with an expanded consciousness is probably more likely the guy's going to make money for you if you're investing because they have to have their finger on the pulse of, of, you know, just to be able to, you know, predict a bit in their, in their work. It's a big prediction business, finance, these types of things. So, so their expanded consciousness is going to be a good thing for that person. Um, it, it would make sense that, that um, someone who's in those professions if they're not doing Jewish spirituality, that they, they probably should be utilizing other things that expand the mind, which may include even the substances you guys brought up. That I'd, I mean, not everyone would like to know their, their stock trading, uh, what do you call that guy? The guy who, who trades stock for you, what do you call him? Your stockbroker, you know, is on LSD. But, <laughs> but uh, I personally would be happy to know that. <laughs> you know, if I had a stock trader, I'd prefer him on LSD um, because he is way more likely to be on that pulse. And you see with Silicon Valley, which is, uh, you know, they have their own issues, but they're, they're super good at prediction in the business. And they're, they're extremely um, psychedelic substance friendly there. Like, the, the, uh, like Google themselves will host, will host, uh, authorities on the subjects of psychedelics like Google themselves will host forums for that. They will host uh, another form of, uh, of mind expansion is, uh, is, uh, is Buddhist meditation. They'll host whole, whole Buddhist mindfulness uh, gatherings that will be sponsored by Google and other Silicon Valley companies will do that. Um, Silicon Valley actually got its entire foundations off the, the uh, pre- um, prohibition of psychedelics. The Silicon Valley started right around the time where, where Nixon started prohibiting psychedelics. And the, the founders of the Silicon Valley high-tech world that we utilize all their wares are, um, are, were all um, involved in those substances. Um, the, and, and today are even more invested in it. In fact, the uh, in fact, the U.S. government still hasn't quite gotten behind the testing of psychedelics for therapy, even though they've, they've, they, financially they haven't gotten behind it. Legally, they've gotten behind it, meaning they've now finally opened it up, and they're allowing all these different universities and other institutions to do all the testing for how psychedelics can help people who are suffering depression or anxiety or, 
or um, uh, uh, you know other elements. To, um, uh, what was the other element I was looking for? Um, I don't remember, but another element, and um, and they're 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 using they're, the government has okayed these, meaning the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, has now okayed that. They're not yet paying for it. Well, guess where all the money's coming from? Who's paying for all that? Silicon Valley's paying for all that. So all the money, and it's lots of money in research, is coming from Silicon Valley. Um, anyway, so, so, we, so what we see is that our consciousness is the USB cable of God into creation. Let's bring it now to Jewish mind expansion, Jewish mind expansion, or Jewish states of consciousness, that's the highest state, is the state called prophecy. Prophecy is the highest state of consciousness. We have not had a living prophet in 2,500 years. Um, of course, Gentiles love using the word prophet loosely. You know, it's like anyone who was like a teacher or created a movement or came out of a cave. Okay, that's a prophet, but in Judaism, like, if you want to claim to be a prophet, then you get tested. We have a separate commandment to not over-test a prophet, meaning don't hassle the poor guy once he's proven himself truly a prophet. Don't give him a hard time. We have a commandment for that, meaning like a commandment you have to wear tefillin or keep Shabbat. We have a separate commandment not to overly test the prophet. You know what that tells you? That when Gentiles loosely use the word prophet, they're not talking about prophets. Nobody's testing these guys. Okay? They are... They are just movement starters or or they're just mythology you know mythological characters that they you know for example um, the 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 uh, all the writings about about JC happened way after the death of JC so it's like you know in Judaism anything written about something real was written then not later it wasn't, we're not creating mythologies here. They, they were written as contemporaries. Of them. And, and what's funny is the, the best contemporary writing you can get at the time of J.C. is our writing. And the Talmud does if you get an uncensored Talmud. The Talmud's very clear <coughs> what happened with J.C., who he was, what he did wrong, and, believe it or not, why the Jews killed him. Yeah. And there's no crucifix in that story. And that's a contemporary... Those are, that's a history written by the contemporaries of, uh, of in, in the actual time. We don't say there wasn't, there wasn't Jesus. We just say what happened then and what he had done wrong such that he deserved what he got. And, um, and, uh, and by the way, they, the Christians may be right that, that he was pointing out, he was pointing out uh, Corruption, you know, Jews were. You read our history, and then we were. There was a lot of corruption in those days, and so here was a rabbi who very well may have been, as the Christians say, pointing out the corruption. Could very well be. That was not why he was killed, by the way. He was not killed for that. But you're allowed in Judaism. You're allowed to point out corruption. In fact, uh, I mean, it makes you a bit of a rabble rouser. But, but it's. Uh, it's not the death penalty, okay? and we're very careful with the death penalty. Death penalty does not come from someone who's, you know, pointing out our faults. It's just not our thing. 
could be there were kings at the time. We had a lot of corrupt kings who might have killed someone. But in the case of J.C., the Talmud does not say the king did it. Okay, this was this was there were some heavy infractions that that warranted the death penalty in his particular case. I'm not going into it beyond that. Um, but by the way, it's it's kind of fun with yeah, you ever play had. I have a class called Fun with Christians. Fun with Christians is is uh, they're they're kind of given over certain protocols, like for example, like one of the protocols they're given is not to say the Jews killed them. So that's like one of the pro, one of their protocols is to say the Romans did it, but it's just a protocol, meaning they really believe the Jews did it. Every Christian believes the Jews did, it, unless no one told them the truth. But most Christians know the truth, and then they're told to say the Romans did it, and the. Uh, but fun, one of the funs with Christians is you, you press them. Like, let's say you're on a bus with one, so you got a good, like, 20 minutes with the guy. You keep pressing them to say it. You just keep pushing them. So far, I'm batting a 1,000. I finally thought I had a guy who was not going to admit that he really believes the Jews killed Jesus. I finally thought I had my guy, because we rode from the old city on a bus all the way towards the central bus station. He was still holding on to the Roman story, you know? And uh, finally, I just said, oh, my gosh, i got to get off at the next stop. I can't lose this battle. So I finally, I got aggressive with the guy. And I'm like, I mean, I don't think I grabbed his shirt collar, but I might have. You know, I mean, I like grabbed him here. And I'm, like, I'm just like, you're lying to me. You know it. You know it. Say the truth, man. And he finally goes, fine. You did it. You know, you, I'm like, I didn't do it. <laughs> I did not do it. I have a whole class called Fun with Christians. You can remind me of it, but it's probably not good to do live. And if you're Christian watching this, my apologies. <laughs> I, I certainly don't discuss such things to offend anybody at all. And, uh, and also, you should know, rabbis were, there were rabbis that were pretty lenient with Christians over the years. I'm not saying that ancient times, I mean more modern times, that were more lenient with them. They weren't so lenient about the Trinity stuff. That, not so lenient. But, but people were just like, you know, Believing in uh, in that that they're they're uh, you know as JC as the savior type thing and that was their thing, um, but it wasn't a compliment they were lenient. It was more of an IQ issue, you know. Like like if if that's what you need to believe, you know, like <laughs> we're not going to mess with you on that. You know, I mean, I I also I meet Jews by the way. I meet Jews jumping up and down about other things too in the observant world. Usually they weren't raised observant. But uh, I've met plenty of Jews who jump up and down about various rabbis. And uh, it took me years to try to figure out what the world is driving these people. And then one day I just suddenly, I don't know, I think I was watching a Jordan Peterson video on, on, uh, on IQ tests, intelligence tests. And, and then I st- after that I said, wait a second, maybe I've got the key to all this. And then, and then I discovered that I did have the key to all this. That there's there's actually an IQ. What they all have in common is low IQ. Well, think about it. Think about having low IQ in a world that seems to only revere studying extremely complicated texts like Talmud. And you, and you got to keep on your head and scissors. So you're in. Like these are like the you're in. You know, you're male. Male doesn't help, by the way. You'll notice there's almost no women into this. It's all. It's usually men driven. Uh, things that are doing this. So you're, you're already like your card-carrying member 
of the observant community. You got your keep it on, you got your sitsis. But you you don't have an IQ that's going to lend itself towards what everyone seems to be really into, which is Torah study. Torah study is like extremely complicated, and it's and it's like you know every, everything you're learning is 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 acrobatic, is mentally acrobatic. It's mental acrobatics all the time. So you either have a high IQ and that's going to go well, or you don't have a high IQ and you're gonna, it's going to be like pulling teeth. And by the way, I know high IQ people have a hard time with it because they smoke weed. So uh, marijuana and Talmud study, they just don't go together. You know, like, because you can have a high IQ and just knock it down with, with weed. You know, and, uh, marijuana and IQ, they're just not friends. And they, and it, now, by the way, the guy doesn't lose his high IQ because he smoked weed. He just loses his high IQ when he's stoned. Well, you know, that's not going to be good for the IQ. That's not even good for study, though. Because cause think about it. You can't learn something without having what's called short-term memory. And you can't have short-term memory if you're smoking weed. They don't go together. And I've, I've actually sometimes wondered... Well, what is short-term memory? Short-term memory is the memory of something that, let's say, just happened. Well, all our day is existing in, like, there's stuff that's just going to happen. There's stuff that just did happen. And we're somewhere here with the context of our day. Sometimes I wonder if the reason they're so high is because that got taken away. That's gone. There's no just was somewhere. And nor do they remember what they were just talking about, which is a little weird. You know, they, they were just talking about it, and they seem really interested in letting you know what they were saying. Which, of course, if you ask them one second later what they were just talking about, they have no idea. You know, and they so they, they were just talking about it, but that somehow's gone, and 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 they don't seem overly concerned about what's about to happen either. Well, if anyone was put squarely in this moment, always they'd probably just be high without smoking weed. Could it be that getting high is just removing the context of time from consciousness? Which, you can see why it would draw people, especially young people, who are just starting to try on responsibility. Well, responsibility is generally couched in time. Meaning, I've got to deal with stuff, and I've also got, like, a past that where I maybe wasn't so good at certain things or there were subjects I wasn't really fit for in school because, you know, everyone learns differently. And, and, but yet I'm going to have to utilize some of the things I'm not that good at from the past for my future. Well, what if I could just somehow like slice off past and slice off future with one hit of a joint or a pipe or a, or a vape pen or a or a brownie or a little piece of candy as they have it today, you know. What if I could just remove past and future and just be in the moment? I mean, think about how high you would be without any weed just to be in the moment. And by the way, I met the highest person I've ever met. It's a really strange story. I have a student. He's actually an Israeli tour guide today, uh, but I think he's from uh, North America. I had a student for many years ago, and we're still... And we get to see each other sometimes, especially when he's leading tours in the old city. And he would tell me about his brother. His brother wasn't well. He had a brother who was uh, mentally handicapped. 
Um, many, many years later, I was at the Kotel. And I was praying Friday night, or schmoozing Friday night. I don't know if I was praying. Um, it's really hard to pray at the Kotel when you're Yom Tov Glazer. And quiz, because I just think everyone needs to hear everything about Judaism. <laughs> the entire time I'm down there. I mean, I'm really bad at the Kotel Friday night. You know, I was like, oh, there's a birthright group. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm crazy. And there was one point where the bathrooms were at the bottom of the stairs here because they were, they were building these bathrooms, which meant you had to cross the entire plaza. Well, if I'm at the Kotel for four hours, because I still can't seem to get myself to pray, so I'm there four hours. Well, how many times do I have to go to the bathroom? Yeah, twice. Well, that's a half hour. <laughs> Till like, getting to the bathroom is a half hour, a half hour back. And because i got to talk to everybody who's in the plaza about Judaism. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm like, I'm, I think I'm just really too excited about one of the least stylish things in the world, Judaism. And anyway, so this is all going on. And the, the, by the way, I just want to mention, in case I forget, the funniest part of the whole night was, was four hours later, I'm at my house, my family's like, where the hell have you been? And, and it's like, it's almost 11 at night to make Kiddush. So we sang Shalom Aleichem, and we sang Yeshus Chayel, I blessed my kids. And now I'm standing there with the Kiddush cup, I'm about to make Kiddush, and I'm getting ready to say, you know, Yom Hashishi. And so I start, but right as I'm starting, my son, who had been with me all night, is giggling. And I go, shh. You know, he's giggling loud. Shh. I finally said, well, what are you giggling about? He says, he says, Daddy, you never prayed. I mean, what do you mean I never prayed? We're at the hotel for four hours. He's like, yeah, I was with you. You never prayed. I mean, you started Kabbalat Shabbat about six times. I think you might have said Shema with a minion, you know, with a group that was saying Shema, but just because you're supposed to, I meaning if you're passing a minion, they're saying Shema, you're supposed to, you know. You never prayed, I promise you, you never prayed. And I'm like, you're kidding. And so it's almost 11, I haven't made Kiddush. You can't make Kiddush before you pray. So I'm like, okay, everybody, take five. You know, and I went in my bedroom, I was just like, you know, as, as fast as I could say everything. So I, I didn't even pray at the, at the Kota. I didn't even notice that I didn't pray. Anyway, I'm like an extreme extrovert. So anyway, the, my, while I was down there, there was one guy who was like glued to me. And he was the funnest guy I've ever talked to because every single thing I said was the most interesting thing he's ever heard. No matter what it was. I mean, the facial expressions while you talk to this guy, you, you, you'd feel the same way. Imagine talking to some guy where every single thing you say, he's just like... You know, so I was just going on and deeper and deeper and deeper into like Torah and like that week's Parsha and like all about God and what a brach is. And, and like, you know, I'm already on like teaching about the word Melech Haolam, you know, Melech Haolam. And well, I, by the time I did Haolam, the guy was like almost having a heart attack. He was just like, <laughs> so this is going on and on. Then I had to go to the bathroom. So I'm crossing the plaza with him the whole way. All of a sudden, a guy comes running up to us. A guy comes running up to us and he says, he says, oh my gosh, Yom Tov, you found my brother. <laughs> he had lost his brother at the hotel, a mentally handicapped person. 
and we we also hadn't seen each other in a while, so he was really excited to see me, but he was way more excited to see the mentally handicapped brother he lost among thousands of people. You know, like he had blown he had blown it big time because this kid could have wound up anywhere, anywhere. You see, he's following me across the plaza of the bathrooms. Like, uh, what if I just kept going? You know, he would have been right next to me, going, you know, like this. So. <laughs> Anyway, so, you understand, so, so, anyway, so I, I go to the bathroom, I come out of the bathroom, I just take him aside, I take my, my student aside, and the tour guide, and I said, uh, what exactly is your brother's mental handicap? And he says, he has a very, he's an extremely rare thing, only a few people on the entire planet have ever had it. It's extremely rare. They have no past or future. They're only now. And I said, well, you know, I just spent like the last 45 minutes, maybe an hour with him. And the whole time I was talking to him, I was thinking that he was the happiest person I ever met. And to this day, I would say he was the happiest person I ever met. Now, is there anyone in this room who's not looking for happiness? Like, is anyone here? We're all interested in happiness. I mean, you could say that really all psychologists would agree when studying the brain of humanity that we're all really just trying to get what would make us happy. The only reason you're in this class right now is you thought that maybe if you came to the Asia Tour Essentials class or you who clicked on this class, said, you yeah, know, maybe, maybe I'll be happier. And if you felt something else would have made you happy, you'd be there right now. And here I am, having met the happiest person I ever met, and what he had was no past or future. Well, that certainly explains teenagers want to get high. Like, what if I could just get rid of past and future? On that subject, I, I want to mention that, that uh, to study something, to actually learn something, you must have short-term memory. You, you, nothing's going into you on any real, in any real way unless it's first hit the short-term. It's got to hit the short term, a bit of review, more stimulation there in the brain, and then it could actually hit into long-term memory. It's long-term memory, and then you got a chance to maybe even integrate something into your whole repertoire. As, as a hum, human being, you can maybe integrate something. And so, uh, and hence you'll see that, that uh, smoking weed is antithetical to Torah study. They're just not going to go together because, because you've got to get something to the short-term memory to get to the long-term memory. I've noticed that you know, I'm teaching in a yeshiva now for, in Eshetar for 27 years, and I've noticed something amazing that I found that, the, that serious potheads, they've got like cannabis on the brain, always, that's all they think about. It, all they, like they, it's almost become them. Like they've become it. And uh, what I've noticed over the years is that uh, our staff here at Asia Torah, that the rabbis here, we don't really bring it up much. You notice I don't really raise the, raise it up much. You just heard what I said. I said heavy stuff about cannabis and Torah study. They, they don't go together. You ever heard me say that before? Just now. But no, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> a good short term memory. So, um, you know, I don't bring it up much. 
And the reason we don't bring it up much is because anyone who's studying Torah, you have to put a lot into it, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to study the Talmud. And all it takes for that guy is one joint on a Saturday night to lose the entire last weeks of, of the last week of learning. So he's been pumping it out and learning and breaking his teeth on Talmud. And he's, he, he's out with friends in town, whatever, someone lights a joint, gets all high, comes in Sunday morning to the yeshiva only to realize that he doesn't remember what anyone's talking about. He just doesn't have this, this mentally acrobatic piece of Talmud. He doesn't have it anymore. He lost it. And so now, it's, now he does another week, so he has to catch back up to the stuff he lost. Now he's got another week's worth of material, and now it's Saturday night and someone likes it, lights a joint. Now he may smoke it, but do you think the chances are less? And what about a week after that? And about a month after that? What about a couple reckonings of, hey, what am I doing here if I'm just going to keep wiping the slate clean every Saturday night or Thursday night or whatever? And so what we've found as rabbis in Eshatar is we don't even bring it up. You smoke all the grass you want. And please don't do it on our campus. And don't, have the, don't sell it here. You know, that's, you know, that's the last thing we need is cops going into our dorm rooms and finding some guy selling weed out of Asia Torah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's super lame. Super lame. And of course, Asia's going to, just as an example, going to have to ask the guy to leave, which is, which is like, you know, like why don't you just send a guy to a gas chamber? Ask a guy to leave Asia Torah. Like this is his last hope for any Jewish literacy, and we're going to ask him to leave. So it's like no one should put themselves or Asia in a position like that. And uh, anyway, so we don't mention it, which is really fun for people who smoke cannabis because they know that they can come to Asia or Samach or Mayanot or any of these issues, and no one's really going to say anything about weed, which is great. And then you get smoke, and then you finally realize that, hey, I'm wasting my time with the cannabis. <laughs> and, uh, and so they save it till whatever, Purim or, or Bainisman or whatever, like, you know, the semester break. You know, but, but it actually weeds itself out. It weeds itself out. And, and, the, um, and then, of course... When it, as it weeds itself out, which is really powerful, is that responsibility gets less scary. Because everyone who smokes weed, that fu- responsibility, which automatically engenders future, it, what happens is your, the responsibility in the future starts to lose its pointed ears and fangs. The less pot you smoke, the less the future has pointed ears and fangs. And so it, suddenly it becomes something like, hmm, you know, maybe I could take some responsibility. And, and then it's like the biggest responsibility, which of course is a wife. Suddenly, you know, they're like, hmm, maybe I could get married. Well, if I could get married, maybe I should start being a good boy so I have what to sell when it's time to start dating. So I, you know, got to have what to sell. You can't, you can't just like jump off Ben Yehuda straight into the Shat Khanit's office, you know. You got to got to have somewhat of a track record of, you know, very good behavior. And so all this stuff happens quite naturally. We don't have to say a word. Us rabbis, just zip it. Let the guy do what he's doing. Uh, but showing up to learn every day is important.
and uh, they, they tend to they tend to make m- men out of themselves without much input. But yeah. If the guy's going to smoke anyways, wouldn't it be better that he's smoking and learning versus the alternative where he's just throwing it away? Yeah, for sure. Smoking and learning, for sure. And also, I would suggest he, I would suggest if he's committed to smoking and learning, mm-hmm. that he learns uh, uh, other subjects than Gemara. He should learn Tanakh. Learn Tanakh, um, learn Kabbalah, Hasidus. Yeah. Um, all the stuff that, anyways, mind expanding. Right, and that things that you're not supposed to completely have running in your mind. <coughs> like Kabbalah, per se. Yeah, I don't know. It, but stuff that's not complicated, as far as uh, because think about it, all the to- all the studies of Judaism that are more let's call them hushkafic, they're more about worldview, like Tanakh, Torah, prophets, writings. It's more about like, why do we have all those writings? They're they're helping us create a worldview. Well, marijuana is really good for worldview. You know, it it can completely like give you a perspective, a mind expanded perspective on the world. Whereas Talmud in law, Talmudic law and Shulchan Aruch law, is very left brain, and uh, weed generally shuts down left brain people uh, and sends you into the flow brain, uh, which is you know obviously left brain is someone who's aware of the past, aware of the future. They're they're, everything's in context, whereas marijuana is not a very left brain uh, substance, and it so it's really good for right brain. Well, we have a whole part of Torah that is right brained, and so smoking with a right brain Torah is not the worst thing in the world. Um, but what it does take them out of though, what it can do though, is it causes the left brain to atrophy because the brain's a muscle, and you got to be careful how much you're shutting down your left brain uh, using weed. For anything, forget Talmud. I mean, just to make a living, like, I mean, there's certain livings you can make staying in your right brain. Like, for example, Van Gogh, I imagine, didn't have much of a left brain. A guy who spray paints walls for a living doesn't need a left brain. Okay? So, but, uh, but a lot of positions need a left brain. Um, you know, a lot of the big money making stuff is left brain stuff. And, you know, left uh, creativity is right brain, but left brain structure. And so you also you have to be careful with uh, overusing things that, that cause the left brain to, to atrophy. You know, you know what atrophy means? When you don't use a muscle for atrophy, it's like people, people, after, yeah, people after surgery deal with atrophy and they have to go to physical therapy or start you know, getting a trainer. So the brain can atrophy as well. Um, you know, you think about it, the Jews have been studying Talmud forever, and, and it's, I don't know if there's a correlation, but, but, um, but Jewish people have a higher IQ than Gentiles by a, an extremely large amount. Uh, um, it wouldn't sound a lot on numbers, meaning I think the average IQ on the planet is is somewhere around, uh, somewhere between 80 and 90, 85, 90, I forget what it was exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is it? Is the whole planet? Um, I mean, I know that... Uh, they have usually national averages. Those you can just look up on your phone. Maybe tell us the... Tell us, I, mean, I know that like 130 mm-hmm. is considered like overly gifted, and I know 70 is mentally uh, right. retarded. I mean, but like 100, I believe, is around average. Is it? 
So uh, I, I, apparently the average, uh, I mean, no offense to non-Ashkenazi, but the average Ashkenazic Jew, I, it was either 110 or 115. Between 90 and 110 is considered average. Okay, between 90 and 110. What, what's the Ashkenazic Jew? Oh, that, no, I just Googled average IQ. <laughs> just add the word Ashkenazi. <laughs> right, just write the word Ashkenazic Jew. It was right there. Ashkenazi Jewish intelligence. Okay, Jewish Jewish intelligence. Okay, 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 Jewish Left brain, left brain, left brain, left brain, left brain, left brain development. And think about all those scoundrels on, like, scoundrels running the banks, and you know, you know, who, like, caused millions of people to go homeless and lose everything and in 2007, 2008, that whole crash. I mean, who was behind all that? It was that Jewish left brain who understood how to leverage markets and things that just, like, most right brain people just in the for the life of them they couldn't have figured it out you know but uh, but it's always Jews uh, running those those structure those financial structures that that you know most people just don't even understand but they do affect homeowners getting loans and you know till the point where I mean I think like this large population of people's loans on their I forget what happened but it, it, what was it in the end their their homes were worth less than their homes became worth less than something having to do with the loans. I don't remember what it was. Someone know how to say that? The money that they owed for the homes and their water. Yeah, it was something like that. Their home was worth less than the money they owed on the home. Yeah. So why are you paying your payments? Just walk. <laughs> your home's now worth less. And all of that happened at the top of the whole thing were heavy-duty left-brain people. Many of them, many of them were Ashkenazic Jews. Behind all that. Now, why specific? Why specifically Ashkenazi? Um, I, th- I think that it has nothing to do with the um, with the, necessarily the Ashkenazic Jews. I think it has to do with the um, this, the non-Ashkenazic Jews living in low IQ populations. Still- I think the lowest IQ populations. Um, what's the IQ of Iran? Iran. Weren't they still learning Talmud? What? Weren't they still learning Talmud and still doing the same? No. 84. What? 84. You hear that? Iran's 84. Tied with Jordan. Tied with Jordan? Michael Jordan? (laughs) Anyway, IQ is a very uncomfortable discussion. No one likes that discussion very much. And by the way, it's irrelevant. Like, I think the highest IQ person in the entire world is African. And I think Africa, on average, goes, what's that? I mean, it's hard to do Africa because there's so many countries in this giant land. But just choose a country. I don't know, Ghana, Swaziland. Yeah, you'd have to choose a country. Kenya, you'd have to choose. Try Kenya. Mm. All right, right. So, Kenya's 80. So I think... Oh, no, no, he's not. He's not an African. Whatever the... the 
Whatever, the, the highest IQ person in the world today is some, like, <laughs> some, like, Gentile in the sticks. Like, he spends all his day, like, chopping wood and stuff. Yeah, he, he did terrible as a life. I mean, he was much better. <laughs> so, meaning, meaning, these are giant population numbers. These have nothing to do with individuals. You know, there's, you could have the lowest IQ population and have, the, have a Nobel Prize winner happen right in the center of it with two parents whose IQs are under 80. So, meaning this has nothing to do with individuals, it just has to do with like overarching millions of people being tested for intelligence. Okay, um, we obviously opened up a subject called mind expansion, which is really big. I, w- I want to finish the session because uh, I think we're after four, we're way after four, it's four or nine. So, I want to finish the subject just with saying that we are, our consciousness is the USB cable. Oh, and I also want to just one more thing about joy is that if a prophet was angry, and they were often angry, because like you'd come into some little town and they're like doing everything wrong, the prophet's like, you know, the prophet's like, what the hell is going on here? Now, of course, the prophet coming to town is a good chance for God to rebuke the people in town. The problem is he was not the USB interface. Why? He was in constricted consciousness because he was looking at the people saying, hey, man, you're, you guys are way off. And he was getting upset about that. And him getting upset about that messed up the fact that he was a prophet. Because the good, the good thing is that, hey, a prophet came to the town. What a wonderful time for the town to get a real prophetic experience and get straightened out. Problem is, you can't give, you, prophecy's never going to land in a guy who's PO'd. You understand? You, you're not going to get prophecy if you're upset. So this was like an issue. And so what happened was there were a lot of prophets who traveled. They would travel with bands. Okay, so everyone can start reaching for your headphones now. They, they would travel with bands. So what would happen? The prophet would get all upset, and he'd be like, what the hell is wrong with all these people? And Yeah, exactly. So what he would do is he would just say, like, maestro. And, you know, and the, the, the horn player's like, do 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 You know, and... And they'd just be like, doo, 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 doo. and the prophet's just like, <laughs> you know. And then after a while, he's just like, <laughs> you know, like, thusly says the Lord, and everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> you know? so, so there was actually there'd be prophets who would have musicians around, who would like, you know, because it was time for the prophecy, but he wasn't in the state. He wasn't in expanded consciousness, constricted consciousness. And expanded consciousness is how God's going to be talking through you. And so we all have to be vigilant for expanded consciousness. We all have to be vigilant for that, whether you're a stock trader, as I spoke about earlier, or whether you're just a regular person who wants to be happy, you've got to be expansive. And that expanded consciousness is, is something that you're... you're it's a non-negotiable. You got to make sure you got that going all the time. And you can you always be there? No. But you can have your headphones nearby. You can go get a beer, you know, and that'll expand you up a bit. And and there, there's ways to expand yourself. And you also hang around more expansive people. That's always helpful. And stay clear of contractive people other than, you know, whatever you have to do if they're your family or whatever. You know, but, but, you know, there's plenty of ways, and we could talk about that. I don't mind going on with the discussion of the week of being expanded consciousness. Shalom, everybody.
Um, Rabbi Nekomar is beginning now. And, uh... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.